world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Willing, but I hit record. <laughs> the Bruce is willing, but the flesh is weak. What? <laughs> that's oh my god! So no. <laughs> Although that that dad joke was so strong, I feel like there should have been like the music from Full House playing behind it. And, like Bob Saget would just appear on the edge of the sofa here to give me a, a good heart to heart. Everywhere you go, everywhere you look. <laughs> it just occurred to me, like, I think about the song, and there's this, like, build-up where it goes, and in my head, it went, instead of going into full house, it went into, out in the country, there's a city limit sign, and now I'm doing the boot scootin' boogie, and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> you should be. I was going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say, maybe he'll think it goes into the step-by-step theme song, or maybe even Family Matters or something. Nope. No benefit, plenty of doubt. Uh, you know, No Doubt is a much better band than whoever. Okay, but seriously, though? Like, <laughs> okay, they're not, okay, they're speak. good, right? They're a little underrated, right? Tragic don't Kingdom speak is a really is good album. almost a perfect song. Yeah. I love Don't Speak. I don't, I don't think we talk about that song enough. <laughs> mm. I don't think we talk about No Doubt enough. Uh, I feel like I feel like in the grand scheme of music, they're underrated. I think at the time they were rated just adequately. But now, now that it like has become, I don't even think No Doubt's a band anymore, right? Isn't it just like she's out there doing all of her Stefanying? Well, she was she was dating one of the members of No Doubt, and then they broke up, and then the band broke up, and Gwen Stefani had her solo career, and now she's married to someone Wasn't else. Wasn't she married and... to the guy from Bush, Kevin Rossdale? 90s me is disappointed in current me. Uh, no, she no, she was for a while. Gavin, yeah, Gavin Rossdale. Blake Shelton is who she's married to now. Oh, they probably met on The Voice. <laughs> and I I hate to know that. Although you shouldn't feel embarrassed about The Voice. I the, the, the one television show that I watch most consistently is The Bachelor. Oh, that's The fair. Voice is actually like, let's <laughs> compete based on talent. That's... The Bachelor is like, let's compete based on who's the biggest D-bag. I... I liked the first three seasons of The Voice, which I think are still the CeeLo seasons, but we don't mm. talk about CeeLo anymore. Um, anyways, maybe we should uh, get back to uh, not talking about <laughs> serial harassers. <laughs> oh, gosh. How do you not, though? I mean, like, have you guys been following the Oh, jeez. Oh, my gosh, yes. The so many... So people are trying to step down. Uh, T-Mobile dropped both of their uh, competitive leagues... As a sponsor, don't get me started on the Steven. Why would you do uh, that? <laughs> I was gonna get, I was gonna get the Diablo two uh, remaster or whatever when it came out on the Nintendo Switch. I'm not going to now. It's just Diablo. Forget it. Done. I'm, I'm so mad at that company. It's yeah. It's, it's a little funny because like, you know, part of me is like, yeah, Steven, suck it. Hit to tell him to suck it. Tell him to hit him where the where it hurts the wallet. Uh, but part of me is also like, I have like a couple friends that actually work for Blizzard. Um, yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, by not supporting the big bad guy, right? You're also not supporting the the lower, smaller innocents. Um, so it's kind of like a weird moral conundrum. Yeah, it goes, it goes both ways. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because like as soon as this news started coming out, or not even the news, I think it was like... The first couple emails um, that were starting to like circulate, my buddy had already posted something about like, yeah. So there's like really big stuff happening there. Um, he's like, I don't know how I feel about this and blah blah blah. And then like a couple days later, when everything actually hit the fan and like the, the California lawsuit happened, he's like, he's like, the problem is he's like. He's like, this is my dream job. This is where I've wanted to work. And he's like, I'm not, and I'm not gonna leave it because I want to improve the place I love and that that has made the games I love and blah blah blah. Um, but he's been doing all the all the walkouts. He was part of the walkouts and stuff like that. It's been really cool kind of seeing him talk about this type of stuff. But it was, yeah, no, it's interesting. 
Here's what I learned. Don't ever don't ever like anybody for any reason ever. Cuz they will only disappoint you. <laughs> Actually, you know, you know who's never going to disappoint you? LeVar Burton? Oh man, fingers crossed. Uh Rick Astley? Uh, I was <laughs> He's also never going to let you down. <laughs> Dang it. He's never going to give you up. <laughs> Run around or desert you. Man, those are all better than any joke I would have made. So let's just move on. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody to the inaugural episode of the Doyle Dormammu Fan Club Podcast. This is the podcast that's all about Doyle Dormammu and nothing but Doyle Dormammu. I'm sorry that we put your uh, your LeVar Burton comment at Jeopardy. <laughs> oh, man. I'll, I'm going to go with what were you thinking? <laughs> anyway... I'm Steven. We've got John and Aldo. We've got some some fun comics to talk about tonight. Um, yeah. Where do we where do we want to start? Do we want to start with the the Strange Academy? No, I think we want to start with the with the TVA. Yeah, the Fantastic Four story. It's shorter, so I think we'll so, get through the conversation yeah. quicker. Nothing yeah. else. Yeah. So that's that's for me then. So we read Fantastic Four number three fifty three and three fifty four from the. 1961, like, ongoing, uh, whatever volume that is. I think this was a 90s comic at this point, though, right? Yeah, this is 1991. June 1st and then July 1st. Um, the Fantastic Four and uh, Sherry, she's Ms. Marvel, she's... That's Sharon Ventura, right? Yeah, Sharon Ventura. She I believe thinks... that's what Frankie Valli would say, is Sherry... <laughs> oh, it's man. like it's like he's got a full holster of these, and I'm just like, what are you guys doing over there? Sharon Ventura, who um, is an ally to the Fantastic Four, but reading her bio, soon uh, fights against them. Uh, not too long after this, she teams up with Doctor Doom to try to. Uh, help the thing and ends up going down a dark path and becoming a bad guy um, and has popped up here and there since um, some of these bigger stories featuring her but um, it took me a second I was like oh they're arresting the Fantastic Four who is that so I had to go back and look but the Fantastic Four is taken by Justice Peace to the Time Variance Authority and Mobius, or Moby, which I can't believe they didn't do that in the show, calling Owen Wilson Moby. But um, he gives them a little tour around and they're, as they're um, kind of bored in their little negative space prison. Um, they're being accused of altering the timeline and messing things up. And their whole timeline is supposed to be demolished anyway, and so they shouldn't even be around. But they saved their own timeline from extinction and uh, delayed its demise by 40 years or so and so they're saying whoa 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 whoa! we're not the only ones screwing around with this we need a little bit of time you need to look into this and they mention x-men they're like what about x-men days of future past i'm like what you can't call out the name of a marvel event like that like it's a thing people call it it's like in oceans 12 when bernie Mac's all mad and he's like your wife said he called it oceans 11 who decided that i'm a private contractor he's all mad and it's like calling out the name of the That's show when you anyway credits um, they manage to, um, Sherry manages to flirt her way out of their little prison cell where they're just floating and get a tour of, uh, the TVA and it's endless, uh, rows and rows and rows of bureaucrats. Um, and this, this whole, this whole story is basically like, what would happen if like there was a bull in the China shop, but it's the thing and it's the time variance authority. He's just like wanting to hit stuff, wanting to hit stuff. And he's like, I don't like this place. I don't like these schmoes. What's going on here? And all sorts of, you know, goofy gruff talk. Well, it turns out, uh, Reed was using him as a distraction when he does that one time. He like bumps a desk and then he... Um, they use that as a distraction for Reed to grab some of their software and get one step ahead of them. So Johnny and the th- uh, Johnny Storm and the Thing um, make a big distraction, tearing up all kinds of stuff. And uh, Moby confronts them with a big army and says, Hey, look, we'll turn you back human if you want. And that's how the first issue ends on that cliffhanger of, oh, The Thing becoming human again? And then he realizes, No, because as the Fantastic Four, we've done so much good, we can't risk changing the timeline so everyone's human even though i want 
to be human again, even though I want to have a normal life, have kids, have a wife, have all that kind of stuff. So um, that buys them enough time for <laughs> truly some ridiculous shenanigans. Um, Reed all this time has been like hacking their computer until he puts a virus in their computer to make the timeline split up so they don't know who's the real version that they're after for everybody. So they escape on, get this, a train. A train with a weird alien, uh, Casey, this green alien, um, who, who, he just shows up. It's just like, hey, look, I found a train, and here's a guy who wants to take us. And all it will cost us is our clothes. That's really, that is legitimately what this alien dude wants. He wants earth fabrics because they're um, a, uh, a contraband good where he's from. And so they all get back to Earth in their own timeline, in their own dimension, right where they're supposed to be, but they're in their underwear. Ta-da! That's the story. <laughs> that is the goofiest recap ever. Now, um, having said all that, I didn't hate it. Um, I, like, some of the the ways that they made comics back then kind of like, you know, it's, it's a bit wordy. It's like, how can we prove that Mobius and uh, Mr. Fantastic are... Smart. Let's use as many multi-syllable words as possible in each of their speech bubbles just to, like, fill space. That's what it felt like, whether that's, you know, I don't know. Um, Time Variance Authority, from the first panel, you, you know that they're, like, all about the rules and all about everything they... Um, Justice Peace says... Uh, what she says? Oh, this is TVA access control, flight 9023A. Uh, You're cleared for landing. Oh, well done. You're 2.239 minutes ahead of schedule. And he goes, oh, Roger, ahead of schedule, that will never do. We'll take the long approach. <laughs> They're, like, really uptight about, like, the rules, about, you know, being on time and everything. You know, and they're confronted right away by this, you know, authority that they didn't know anything about. And it kind of hits some of the same beats of the, uh, the, the Loki show, where it's the question of, well, if these guys are running everything, what, what would it be a good thing to, like wreck their whole house here and like the show Loki they decide yeah yeah it would screw them we don't want anyone being the boss of us so that's what they do um, I don't know what do you guys think we can talk into specifics of aspects of it but like that's the general gist of it a quick shout out to the creative team yep 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 so Sorry. we've got the writing and art is by Walt Simonson letters by Bill Oakley coloring by Marie Javins and in the second issue, there's uh, Renee Witterstater is also working on colors. I just I just looked up her name because the title page just says Renee and Marie. Um, I kind of loved this. Not like super top tier stuff, but it's Walt Simonson. Yep. I love Walt Simonson. I, I think he... Walt Simonson is very obviously like a Jack Kirby inspired artist and I think Simonson I don't know I don't know that he's my favorite comics artist but there's a chance he's in the top five for me I really like his work I like his layouts I think this book lets him show off a little bit with some of the interesting stuff especially in the second issue when time starts fracturing he gets to do some pretty fun stuff with the the layouts there um there's some really great sort of panoramic shots in the the first issue where you see, like, uh, worlds opening up beneath the Fantastic Four. I'm looking at page 11 of 353, and it's just this really great use of the white space of the page where they're looking basically over, uh, like, a garbage chute down into worlds that have been discarded, and you see all of these different Earths that have, like, fallen through. And then off to the right, that is very definitely Supergirl from DC Comics, who is falling away. I was wondering about that. Yeah, Simonson pulled a similar joke in uh, the his run on Thor, where uh, Thor actually runs into Clark Kent at one point. It's fun. And, like, I just love the fun that Simonson is always obviously having. The story itself is just kind of fine, but for me, it's all about the artwork. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's. I think it's funny too because I mean it's it also I mean, you can tell Simonson was paying attention to comics, because it's not like just a random cameo. It's specifically due to the fact that like uh right that was right after the time of uh, Infinite Crisis on Event Earths, uh where 
Supergirl was dead, I think, or she was un undimensionalized <laughs> or something. Yeah, she she dies during Crisis on Infinite Earths. That book is a chore to get through, but the death of Supergirl is one of the legitimately good points in the book. Yeah, so so that's what that is a joke because she doesn't exist at that moment in time. That version of her doesn't exist anymore. Right, uh, it is the <laughs> costume that she had, or it appears to be the costume that she had at that time. No, yeah. it's a very good shout out. It is. It's. I like it because as a as a nerd, it's one of those if you know you know jokes. If you don't, it's still like a recognizable joke. Right. It's kind of like I, I. So I know in some of the later, uh, TVA stuff. Um, at least the at least the TVA images that I'm used to, uh, the TVA is typically made to look like whoever is the editor in chief at the time. Um. So I think. The, the TVA that I'm familiar with from some of the Thor comics is Mark Gruenwald. I don't know if this particular TVA, or you know specifically Mobius, is meant to look like... I don't know who the editor-in-chief was at the time, but he might be... Was it Ralph to... Macchio? Uh, in, the ni- in 91? Yeah. I don't know if he was actually EIC. Oh, for this comic. He was the editor of this comic, but I don't know if he's editor-in-chief. Oh, editor-in-chief is Tom DeFalco. Oh, I thought... It's, on, it's actually on the credits. Yeah. Ah, let me, because I, I read it was, hold on, I, I, I read this, so it's it's a real thing. This wasn't a dream I had. Um, oh, also, for some reason, anytime I pull up Wikipedia, it bookmarked the Ghost Rider Robbie Reyes page, so that's like my <laughs> Wikipedia homepage now. Yes. Is Robbie Reyes. <laughs> it's just like, ah, oh, Scary Skull. Oh, okay. Oh, I just found an image of, of Tom DeFalco. It kind of looks like him. Like 90s Tom DeFalco? Oh, uh, I think so. Kind of. It's like the forehead is higher on Mobius by a lot. Yep. It is Mark Gruenwald. Uh, created by Walt Simonson and Sal Vashema. And uh, the TVA originally paid homage to longtime Marvel uh, writer slash editor and continuity expert Mark oh, Gruenwald. Oh yeah, absolutely. The TVA staff were all clones of Mark Gruenwald. And, and that was still the case here. Um, I just found a picture of Mark Gruenwald. And you know what? He actually looks like Owen Wilson in <laughs> in the show. There you go. Huh. What do you know? The mustache yeah. and everything. Huh. He looks like, uh, oh, from Mad Men. Dang it. John Slattery? Yeah. In that second picture. He looks like Howard Stark. How's there we that? go. <laughs> I was like, he looks like, like Sterling, Roger Sterling. No? No? Mad Men? No? I okay. didn't watch it. <laughs> Howard Stark. No, no. I've only watched the clips that air before episodes of Binging with Babish. I I only watch uh, shows about men I can relate to, which is why I only watch sad men. <laughs> uh, it's times like it's it's good that we record separately <laughs> because like in my mind I like I like took a swing at you with the fly swatter, just like no more. <laughs> How dare you get one up on me again, again and again? <laughs> um, I I enjoyed the art. I enjoyed, um, you know, the uh, colors in this. You know, we get very kind of, you know, the TVA is like very, not like monochromatic, but it's like the same kind of handful of tones. And then, you know, we get the Fantastic Four, like this, you know, they're, they're blue outfits and, you know, the thing is just seriously, like, the whole time is just a bull in a china shop. And I don't really, he kind of looks a mess, like, the way that uh, Simonson draws him. is He's got, like, a like a uh, frill on his head that kind of looks weird. Yeah, and but, they, they point that out, um, too, right? There's like, some, if I remember at the, at the end, like, Johnny is like, hey, you, you're back to normal now. Yeah, there's something, some plot reason makes him look different. I don't think it's necessarily just, like, Simonson's design. I, I mean, I I thought it was neat. I, I, at the bare minimum, I thought it was different. Uh, so like, it, he did stand out to me at least. But I don't know that I, I don't know that I would have like permanently loved it. But uh, I think I would have liked it like in an arc. I think that's not a bad temporary redesign. Yeah, somebody up there just likes me better like this. Yeah, back to. Yep. Back looking like the normal thing, and you know. Naked and fighting with Johnny, just like old times. This is such a weird way to end the comic. 
<laughs> I actually I liked the ending. Um, I, I I don't know. I just really like how it's just goofy. I I think it's yeah. there's something a little bit funny about um, like they're all in their underwear at the end, and yet. <laughs> Uh, like Johnny Storm is still like the one like next to his like sister holding his naked sister's hand as they're both naked or almost naked. It's something about that to me feels like it'd be an awkward situation, yet it doesn't get addressed in the slightest. And I'm like, I just a quip. That's all I would have needed. Just a comment about how awkward that is. <laughs> but I guess not. I don't know. Maybe they're just more mature than I am. <laughs> yep. Okay, if there's one thing that is definitely not true, it is that Johnny Storm is more mature than anyone. Ah, uh, that's fair. And that he's a briefs man. I don't believe that. Really? You don't think it's... I feel like he's, he's he wears tights. He's got to be a briefs man. Or you mean, you mean Johnny Storm is more of a thong guy? Well, now I'm in a whole different rabbit hole. And I don't <laughs> want to so... Okay, we cannot keep talking about this. <laughs> hey, um... Who's the weirdest... What's the weirdest part of this comic, and why is it Casey? Uh, I'm sorry. Isn't Casey the best part of this comic? I can see where you'd come up with that wrong opinion, but it's still it's wrong. It's hilarious. Are you kidding me? Like, honestly, it's all the weirdness of the second issue that saved this story for me. The art is, again, pretty good throughout. But in the second issue, you have, like, time fracturing into bits, and then they escape from this, you know, interdimensional gulag with the help of an alien model train enthusiast who wants authentic earth artifacts so he takes their clothes i like i don't know the goofiness of it really saves the story for me i guess it's just it seemed like okay we're hacking the computer we're hacking the computer okay we've done a virus uh you know what we need to get out of this classic move yes green alien with a with a big train that goes through time there we go where did that come from it's not like it's it's like weird in an off-putting way to me. It seems too like ordinary and commonplace to have a train in there. Maybe maybe it's just that there was no like oh, and we also have green aliens who hang about with our trains. We have trains. Did we tell you we had trains? It seems very strange to drop that in. I I, I guess it works. It just seemed very like where is this coming from? Like, more than other the other weird things that are going on in the comic. It was just very odd. It's a hoot. They should have, like, you know, a panel in one page at the beginning be like, Oh, hey, Casey. That's Casey. He runs the trains. Oh, you have trains. Yes, we do. Moving on. And then later it's like, Ah, oh, Casey, you son of a gun. You're here to save us. Yeah, I heard y'all like trains and Earth, and I love both. Let's go. Give me your clothes now. <laughs> you know, there could have been... I don't know how he talks. Anyway. That's, that's probably like that. Um, Justice Peace is like if Judge Dredd was into Transformers, okay. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I got serious, like, Judge Dredd vibes. Um, wondering, I was wondering if that was intentional. Um, I don't know. Because, like, I, it seems like a weird comparison to, like... Do a pa- it seems like a weird move to do a pastiche of Judge Dredd in a Marvel comic. Because, like, is, is Dredd even noteworthy enough? Or was he noteworthy enough in the early 90s for it to be meaningful? That's what I'm checking. It, he doesn't, it doesn't seem like uh, much of a parody. I've read some Judge Dredd, and of course I've seen the movies. Both the good one and the bad one, which also happened to be the ugly one. Um, yeah, I don't know. It definitely, like, he's got the same sort of, like, ridiculous over-designed costume that dread has i i just it didn't seem to do anything more than just be like a similar visual design it wasn't like the supergirl thing where it's like oh that's a neat shout out it's like this 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 is supposed to be judge dread i'm not sure what the point is that they're making with it and it's not interesting enough to be its own homage or whatever i don't know the co- the, the costume is more similar than i thought he, uh, let's see, from 1977, so. Yeah, like, he would have been around long enough. I'm just seeing, I don't know. Um, yeah, he seemed like a big old wet blanket, but then he, you know, came around in the end, so that's good. Yeah. I do not understand what he meant when he said, uh, what's he say? He's like, farewell, break no laws, and you shall have no peace no more. It's like, uh, What? 
<laughs> what sense does that make? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. That was his, like, as he leapt off to stay in his own timeline or something. I don't know, it was weird. He was one of the, he was one of the weaker characters, I thought, of the book. But I liked all the stuff with uh, Sharon and Mobius. Like, Mobius being the ridiculous bureaucrat. Thought he was interesting and fun. Um, I, again, I liked Casey a lot. Um, I liked sort of the the ridiculous scenery, the madcap antics. The second issue was stronger than the first. First issue was fine. It was fun. Aldo? Um, I don't know. It's very indifferent to the book. That's why... I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have strong opinions to it. Uh, like, I... I it was a little wacky, but I feel like the text was very 90s. It was a lot of text. I like the art. I like the thing. I am very middle. I am the most middleest of the roadest I have ever been. <laughs> yeah, not, not unjustifiably. This is kind of, I don't know, an unconsequential story elevated by some really good art and I think some fun twists but at the end of the day pretty unremarkable yeah not bad just not not bad not bad at all yeah um I don't know that I have much more to say about it same I would uh encourage us to move on (laughs) (laughs) John any points you want to end with well you know if he ends up you know, you and your friends and family naked on your front doorstep. It, you know, good time was had by all. I guess I, I, don't, you know. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. It was not bad. A little weird. Indeed. So, I guess with that, we'll we'll move on to Strange Academy. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I think yeah. Strange Academy, a uh, twenty twenty series uh, that. I don't know. Man, I'm really excited to talk about this book. Okay, Strange Academy is a 2020 series written by Scotty Young with art by Humberto Ramos, uh, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by Clayton Cowles from Virtual Calligraphy. Uh, it's There's a lot going on in this uh, six issues that we read. Uh, the story follows multiple characters. I think our, our main character, if we have to pick one, is Emily, a young girl who discovers that she has magic powers. Magic in Marvel Universe has kind of taken on a bunch of different forms, but the one that that has seemed to stick is the everything has its price variety, where you can do some really cool stuff with magic, but then, you know, you're going to pay for it somehow. Emily doesn't quite know how to control her powers, and so she's not prepared to pay for the price. So she gets recruited to come to a magic school taught by the most prominent magical characters in the Marvel Universe. Doctor Strange is, I think, technically the headmaster, but he's barely around because he is spending all of his time axe-fighting, as he does nowadays. So, on site, I believe the the day-to-day operations are managed by Brother Voodoo. We've got characters like Magic from X-Men is a teacher... Uh, Damon Hellstrom, who we read about last year sometime, is one of the teachers. The Ancient One is there teaching. Uh, one class we see is taught by Man-Thing, looking at the the class uh, syllabus or whatever. In the back of one of the issues, we can actually see that uh, one of the instructors is Senor Mahiko from that... Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Yes. Yeah, uh, we have, we haven't seen him on page yet. No, which is a shame. Fine, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm okay with the mention. Just, yeah, I love the mention. I'm glad it's there. Also, um, uh, Nico Minoru was a teacher. Nico Minoru is there. Uh, Dead Girl from Ecstatics is is there, which is kind of cool. I like Dead Girl. Uh, yeah, so it's just this cool, like faculty of all of these heavy hitter magic figures from Marvel Comics, but the comic is not about the teachers. The comic is about the students, and the students, uh, Emily is kind of just our everyman. She's our Harry Potter. I was going to avoid the comparison, but yes, she's the Harry Potter. (laughs) They don't, Stephen. They don't. I know they they don't. Everybody else has, like, connections, 
or seemingly has connections to the broader Marvel universe. I guess there's uh, Herman and Calvin. I don't know what their connections necessarily are. Wait, I'm sorry. What was the other one? I don't know how to pronounce it. I said Herman. Okay, yeah. I thought you you said like Hellaman. I was like, like the mayonnaise? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Please, it's Hellman. But you've got... um, so you've got Calvin, who's got a, a jacket that basically looks like it's a Venom. Like it's it's an evil clothing article. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what's going on. I was trying to... I was like, hey, something's wrong with that jacket. <laughs> it needs to eat. And that's giving me the heebie-jeebies. And it's... Yeah, it's kind of like a yeah. Venom. You've got twins from the the Norse realms from Asgard, Alfie and Eric. You've got a giant uh, ice... What are, what are they called? The Ice Frost giant? Giants? Frost Giants. Frost Giants. The Frost Giants. Gus the Frost Giant. There's Toth, who I don't know what Toth's deal is. He's like a nonverbal uh, sort of insectoid type of thing. Uh, according got- to, to the Marvel Wiki, uh, it's Toth, Crystal Warrior Man-Thing. And oh, war- it's Crystal Warrior Man-Thing. Yeah, Warrior Man-Thing is all uh, hyphenated. Three words. One word. Interesting. There you go. We've got Zoe, who is secretly a zombie. Desi, who is a uh, demon manifestation of desire who outs Zoe as a zombie. Uh, and then there's Shaylee, who is some sort of like pixie fairy thing. And then uh, the son of Dormammu, Doyle Dormammu. His name is Doyle Dormammu. Mm-hmm. He looks like Dormammu, but he wear- he's wearing a schoolboy uniform. Also, okay, also, uh, I know we haven't gotten to that point yet, but like... Is that a little weird that uh, the whole Desi outing Zoe as a zombie feels really like outing somebody for their sexuality against their will? I don't think that's an accident. I think they intentionally wrote it to read that way. feels uncomfortable. I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure it's the best way to handle that, but that's what they did. That was a choice. Yep, sure was a choice. So we see the the students of Strange Academy, like, learning how to use their magic. They uh, go to classes. They have some fun in games, including a game called Doors, which is basically hide-and-seek, except you're running between dimensions. No, it's Door Tag. That was really freaking cool. (laughs) It's Door Tag, not just Doors. Door Tag, that's right. Um, As a result of playing Door Tag, uh, Calvin winds up getting captured by these... Uh, strange tree-like monsters called the Hollow. They've got some beef with the magic users of Strange Academy, and they're going to use Cal to take their revenge. Uh, the students rally together to go and save Cal. Uh, they wind up getting in over their heads. Doctor Strange and I believe Brother Voodoo have to show up to to kind of bail them out. Strange and Voodoo had also previously been having a conversation about how part of the purpose of this magic school was to uh, basically find the one, you know, the one, like in the prophecy, the one, but make them feel completely normal so that they wouldn't actually ever become the one, which I thought was an interesting sort of twist on that. Anyway, they all team up to defeat the Hollow, to try to save Cal, and they do, and in the process, cliffhanger... At the end of this story, Doyle Dormammu has died. Dun, dun, and with dun. it, my love for Marvel Comics, because I don't see any reason to keep reading. Because Doyle is dead. <laughs> Doyle, character final. Well, end of, the, end of the podcast, everybody. Yep. I think I think it's funny that Doyle doesn't really have like a like a, like a head or like uh, like a jaw hinge yet. When he's dead, he has a neck and jaw hinge and neck. <laughs> you know, when they killed him, it's not just his character, it's also his good looks. <laughs> I like that it was kind of like a Sleepy Hollow Pumpkin kind of yeah. look. You know, a little bit. Um, I know we're going to talk about it, but I just want to say the art is outstanding. So good. Just even, even when I recognize some poses and like, you know, like you could have dropped Chase um, from The Runaways in here. And he would have looked like he belonged with everybody else. So, like, you know, it's just a really distinctive style with Umberto. I didn't even care when, like, I recognized some of the exact same poses in, you know, from, like, a Runaways run that he did. You know, I, I don't, it, it just, it works so well with this, like, really weird thing they have going on. Um, 
It's Emily Bright, right? Yeah, Bright. I couldn't yes, remember her yes. last name. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. When she... Because we went... We read um, Last Days of Magic, and that starts off with Doctor Strange, you know, making a house call and fighting some weird trans-dimensional demons in someone's body. And when he goes out of the house, he's still seeing with his, you know, third eye and... The real world is black and white and gray, and everything from you know another world is these weird, fantastical creatures in bright colors. And we get a little bit of that in here. I like that they kept that going. You know, this is kind of you know they're coming back from, you know, magic being gone, and it's it's a nice continuity to have that. You know, just keeping that same look. I don't know if that's consistent through all of Doctor Strange, but. Um, and all of the Doctor Strange that I've read, it has been, so there you go. Yeah, um, so I guess we've kind of got our first impressions down, except for Aldo. First impressions of the story? Um, you know, I... Okay, I really liked it, but it's also, it's really overwhelming. There's, uh... Yeah. I th- okay, I'm gonna get real nitpicky. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on my critic uh, glasses and hat here. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's it's obviously by no means perfect. I think the problem for me with the series is that it introduces a lot of characters real fast, uh, introduces us to like a lot of things real fast, and I it needs to breathe. Um, I think that's my biggest issue with it because we're immediately introduced to like a cast of like almost a dozen characters. Uh, it's really hard to anchor yourself to any one of them as as like a main character because they're all kind of struggling to share the spotlight even though narratively it really does feel like Doyle and Emily are meant to be our main characters and one of the uh one of the the Asgardian twins I I don't yeah. think so personally but I could see that I guess Yeah I feel like when they show up to uh confront the Hollow and the hollow's like, it's the one. Uh, there are three of them in the shot. Oh right, right. It's one yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah, and one of them is is I think it's Eric. Yeah, one of the butt wagons. Um, one of the butt wagons. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it was tough. Like you know, the character Emily Bright is fine. You know, we need a we need a regular person who's new to this world. But it's also tough because every other classmate is much more visually interesting. Yeah, and it, yeah, you know? and it's one of those things. And I don't want to compare it to another thing, um, but My Hero Academia has has Here pretty much the same setup. Okay, listen. Okay, but I think it does. I think the execution of a classroom and an introduction of a twelve like of a twelve plus cast. Uh, it's handled a lot smoother in My Hero Academia. It doesn't feel like nearly as overwhelming. Um, How long does it take to do all that? I, this is I six issues. I don't know, but it it doesn't feel like it's nearly uh, this. Okay, so it doesn't take nearly. It doesn't go nearly as fast because you do spend a lot of your beginning uh, chapters with just your main protagonist. You get a real good feel for them. In here, we get maybe a few pages. Yeah. And it feels like the book is just really excited to get straight academy. It's really excited to show you all the teachers. It's really excited to show you everything. And it feels it feels more like you're just uh, being talked to by somebody who's really excited to tell you about this stuff. Um, and you don't really get to like soak it in. And I, that's that's kind of my my issue with it. It just feels like a lot, and it's overwhelming. And I think it could have benefited from slowing down a little bit. Absolutely agree with that. As I, I loved this book. I did I too. It was yes, so fun. And you are one hundred percent right. It it moves so fast with those characters. Um, the other comic it made me think of, and we've uh, kind of touched on it a lot already, is Runaways. And I don't think it's just yeah. because Nico Minoru uh, has a cameo. I think it's genuinely because. Um, like you're dealing with young protagonists in this, you know, fantastic setting. I don't actually know that I think this is as good as Runaways. At, at least not. At least not in its first six issues. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Because th- that one, there was a like the Hollow. This is a throwaway villain. Maybe. You know, this is. I think this is like this is we're gonna we're gonna bind everybody together, give them a common enemy. This isn't like, 
oh man, like Runaways are like there's a very clear like end of the first issue. Like our parents are supervillains. We got to do something about it. You know, there's it, it was much cleaner. Um, there are obviously you know six characters, six families, um, all you know different from each other, so they're you know easier to pick out. I think, and this was one character meeting everyone all at the same time. You know, um, I think that there's something interesting about all these characters. I just think, yeah, we need more time with them. This is a lot all at once. I think I think my other problem with it too, and it, it's not like a problem, right? Because I think in the end, it's actually a really good thing. But I feel like all the characters are more interesting visually than they are characters. But precisely because it's only the first six issues, and we really haven't had a lot of time, so so even now, like I mean, I don't know the difference between the 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 uh, the butt wagon with the with the hair bun and the butt wagon with the hair down. Like that's the only <laughs> difference, and I know one yeah. of them's nicer than the other, but I don't ever, I can't keep the continuity of who's who, because <laughs> they're not on screen like long, not on screen, on page long enough, consistently for me to really get that down. I, Makes me worry about my my boys because they're twins, and I don't want people to be like, ah, oh, you're well, now, you're the one who stands on the left, and you're the one that's on the right, and you guys are the same, but you're you know, it's like. Oh, well, I crap. mean, obviously the answer is right there, John. Man buns. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Got one so, with the man bun. And John had to punish him. himself. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So like that's at least for me that was kind of the the issue was was just like it's it's really overwhelming. Um, I like. The, also, okay, also, I feel like it's, uh, I gotta find a better phrase. I feel like it's firing its Chekhov's gun a little too early. Or, or maybe, or maybe I, I didn't I piece together the wrong things. Because Emily has, like, the right intuition, right? Because a, a lot of the setup in the book, or not setup, a lot of the, the part of the book is, you know, magic comes with a cost. Which, for having a soft magic system that doesn't really have any hard set rules, that is a really good rule to have, I think. Um, and I like it narratively, and also uh, because they're following Full Metal Alchemist rules. You can't make something out of nothing. Hey yo, equivalent exchange, Kazam! Uh, <laughs> sorry, I got really excited. Kazam! You're bringing Kazam, Kazam, Kazam. into this? Yeah, they, I mean, there was a genie. God. <laughs> yeah, there, there was, was a genie. <laughs> <Dang it>. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, so she has like this intuition, right? That like something's weird. Magic comes at a cost, and when she's at the school, she doesn't feel that cost. And they they kind of just reveal that at the or wait, yeah, yeah, that was issue six, right? Uh, with the tiger, or did I read ahead? The tiger? I read ahead. My bad. You read ahead. You read ahead. <laughs> it's a really good book. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so so the next cha- literally the next chapter, uh, the next should they reveal what is the cost, uh, or like how they're uh, handling that, which God dang it, and now I have to like separate that somehow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, so anyway, so that kind of that feels like it was gonna be a nice setup for like like if you've read the Doctor Strange book, I thought it was gonna be like a throwback to. Uh, because he had what was, like, those things, right? Like, in his house. Like, he had that secret basement. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought it was going to be. Sorry. Spoiler alert. My bad. <laughs> Tiger. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> this is so awkward now. Uh, yeah, so... Okay. okay. I want to go back to a comment you made earlier about how the characters are more interesting visually than they are as characters. Uh-huh. I think in general that is true, mm-hmm. but there are a couple of specific characters that I think actually do hold up a lot better. Um, one of them is, uh, uh, this is not just a bit, I actually do think Doyle Dormammu has a pretty good characterization. Um, some of it is admittedly like stuff that is happening to him and around him. Like, we know that he's the son of Dormammu. We know that he's likely to follow down his his father's path uh, from that, that vision that uh, is kind of forced on him when they, they visit the fortune teller. Uh, we know that he has a crush on Emily. 
Um, but I also think there's a lot of good characterization in the way that he's drawn. In particular, um, I think it's issue two, uh, page ten. Where he's in, he's in class with magic. Yep. And the, the you know, magic and uh, Damon Hellstrom are at the front of the class. And they're going to learn about hell. And Ileana makes the joke, you're going to have a hell of a time in this class. Uh, and everybody looks bored, except for Doyle Dormammu, who's like doing a little fist pump. He's like, yes! <laughs> just, I just love that design. I just love it. Um, the other character that I think comes out pretty well, as far as like characterization, is Cal. Who oh, the jacket kid. Is Yeah, the jacket kid. He's very eager. He's very excitable. He's very, you know, good-natured and fun. A little bit naive and definitely not as capable as any of the other students in the class. So all of these characters are fulfilling kind of tropes. Um, I mean, if Emily is our Harry Potter, then Cal is probably our Neville Longbottom. Uh, (laughs) He's our our Wedge Antilles. How do you... How is Wedge Antilles the Neville Longbottom of Star Wars? I don't know, isn't he the guy who, you know, kind of goes out in the first movie? Oh, no, that's Ooh, Biggs. That's them. Biggs. Never mind. Yeah. He's the Biggs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't think he's that either. It doesn't I mean, matter. he got taken by matter. a bunch of tree folk. And if, uh, there's one thing I know about tree folk is that their, their bite is never as bad as their bark. Boo! <laughs> you really went out on a limb for that. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to branch out of my humor. You don't really want to stay rooted in one style too long. <laughs> okay steven what would you do different stop it okay no <laughs> okay so i've talked a lot about this book uh what else is there to say bushes wait no i messed up molasses <laughs> Um, absolutely love the art. Love the art so dang much. Um, I think there's some moments where, um, it gets a little weird. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's not the right word. You mean strange? <laughs> uh, okay. No, I, okay. What I'm trying to say, I think there are moments when it gets a little uncanny. I feel like, and you know, we, t- I talked a little bit about this in, in our, uh, in the one, sh- in the fill-in issue where... Uh, Umberto Ramos has a bit of a, a has a bit of an anime style, not because he likes anime, but because the people he's influenced by like the manga anime art style, right? But there are there are moments where I think his art style is at odds with the coloring, and I specifically it's the same issue issue two. Uh, page thirteen. There's like a really good close up of of magic and Hellstrom, and I feel like like that. Like the, the the details and the colors feel like a bit at odds with the rest of the book. I feel like they're trying to go for like a more of a realistic look, but the proportions aren't quite there a hundred percent. Like it just feels a little off. I, I don't know if that was just me. Uh, with the exception of a couple of those moments, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a Ramos Delgado book. I love that combination. I think they're a great uh, pair of artists, like Poncer and Pacelli and. Uh, a couple other like really iconic duos. Yeah. Oh, it's very pretty. I just. <laughs> yeah, I know it is. It is. With, with with that exception of like every once in a while, I feel like, I feel like the coloring tries to skew a little bit more realistic, and it, it makes it feel a little bit off, and not like, in the off that you kind of want it to feel off in a book like this, just off as it doesn't mesh super well. That is my only complaint. Um, and that's a real, that's really a nitpick. I mean, I should just kick myself in the butt, because that's, that's uncalled for. Uh, <laughs> also, I want a little text in there. I don't know what happened. Uh, <laughs> Shoot, I don't know about these here comic books. Was, I'm just saying, man, John, a good comic book. I don't know who I need to be criticizing. I don't know, man. Texas, we have comic books that are 35 pages long. I don't know what these 25 pages are. Everything's bigger in Texas. Okay, so... <laughs> Anyways, uh, the covers are amazing. I love them. Covers are very good. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the the Doyle Dormammu fan club also approves of uh, issue three cover. Of course. Yeah. What? I don't. 
my my app's not loading. I think it's uh I think it's in issue five when whoever that that woman is that's kind of like helping orient everybody. They're like oh Zelma. Zelma, yeah, they're yeah. they're like. I can picture it, but I'm having a trouble describing what actually happened. And like I said, my app's not loading. Where it's like the figures are all in color, but the backgrounds are all black and white because they're in like another dimension yeah. and they're fighting off an alien monster thing. That like I don't know. Just there are some really good, really strong art choices throughout. Yes, um, and, and it's kind of like what we saw with the the Fantastic Four story that we just read, um, where. There's some strong layouts, and it's not really negative space just as much as it is white, but it, it creates this really distinct visual style. Um, I don't know. It's one of my favorite things is is magic in comics because the artists get the opportunity to show off some really fun, wild stuff. I think the other thing that I like really well has been the color choices for the magics. Uh, which, which while making them feel consistent, because there's, there's really not a whole lot of difference between, like, you know, wispy green animal magic and, like, fire beams and magical light beams. Uh, the fact that they're, like, just, the colors are so strong between them. It's you really can't confuse, like, what type of magic. So, obviously, you can't confuse who's throwing out fire, but um, that's fine. <laughs> That's 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 just a consequence of having twenty plus characters. Yeah, <sighs> that's a lot. I, I'm I'm kind of drained now because I've gushed over this, and <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I have much more to say. <laughs> and it's not even like it's not even that good, like in the sense <laughs> that it's you know this isn't going like super high on the list. This isn't going in the top twenty. Wherever Runaways is, I, I've already in my head Runaways is the ceiling. This is not better than Runaways. But at the same time, I read this book and I'm like, I wish I had been getting the... I, I had considered putting this on my poll list at the comic book shop. And I'm like, I'm not going to. I've got it on the app. I'll just read it when it comes out. I know I'm wishing I had it. Yeah, I think I'm going to pick up the, the paperbacks. Yeah, this the art is good enough. And it's intriguing enough, I think, that I want to mm -hmm. own it. Um, I think that this has great potential. And I really hope it keeps going. And maybe that's part of this struggle that, you know, you're, you're a writer artist team and there's, you know, high hopes for these two together, um, Scotty Young and Umberto Ramos. And so they really have to like hook people quickly. And so maybe that's why it's so busy and there's so much. It's like, we, we only, we may only have six issues. So let's, you know, get this done. I don't know, you know, what their agreements are like and how, how long that they, they're definitely going to be on a book, whether it's, you know, one trade, 50 issues, 100 issues, forever, who knows? But um, maybe that's part of the industry. It's, just, it's so competitive and there's so many things competing for our readers' attention that they felt, well, let's let's throw everything in and, you know, take our time with individual characters later. I don't know. I think there's a lot of potential and I'm looking forward to reading more. I'm also curious about, like, how much the pacing stuff could be a result of uh, Scotty Young's experience or inexperience, either or. I don't know what his actual history is as a writer. Um, really well-known artist, but... I think he's a fairly prolific writer as well. Because it, it, it might just be down to, like, I don't know, probably a little bit of his excitement, probably a little bit of his... I, I don't know, because I, I really don't know his history as a writer. But uh, I, I'd imagine it's it might be something to that. Or maybe that's just his style. Maybe he just really likes throwing out a lot he wrote uh i hate fairyland for image comics i'm pretty sure that he has um i don't know i feel like he's had more experience writing than you think i definitely know him best as an illustrator yeah but oh he wrote he wrote magneto not a hero oh i haven't read that one um anyway yeah i don't know i think uh, uh, I, I can't get around it. It's 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 definitely a problem that there are so many characters and there's not enough space to flush them out. And I, I think that... I don't want to chalk it up to inexperience as much as just, like, excitement. For, That's fair. I have all of these great designs for all of these great characters and I want to see them all right away. I want to see my favorite artist write or draw all my favorite... all these characters I created. Right. Although, did Scotty Young do the designs? I don't know. Of the characters? I, I don't know. I... Am, <sighs> I have to, I mean, with both of them being artists, 
I have to imagine it was highly collaborative. I would imagine so, I would yes. So, and yeah. some of the character designs do feel like they are Scotty Young designs. I, um, where do you think Doyle Dormammu ends up? Where do I think he ends up? Yeah, more of a... Do you think he's a, uh, Ramos Young or like an in-between? Oh, I think he's definitely Young. I think so, too. Like, he kind of reminds... It's like, because Scotty Young drew all of those babies... Right? The superhero babies. Yeah. And when he did Dormammu as a baby, it's like, well, we're just going to call him Doyle, and he's going to be my best friend. <laughs> he's like, I need a book for this man. <laughs> <laughs> this boy needs a book. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, all I know is I, 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 I really liked the book. And, and I feel like I was, I've been real nitpicky as if I've been like purposely trying to be like the hipster antagonist. I really not. I really did enjoy the book. Quite a bit. I clearly, I clearly overread. Sorry, your your scarf, your scarf is blocking your mouth. Tuck it into your V-neck and tell me again what's going on. Ah, oh, that's so good. I don't have any any sort of comeback for that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, like I, I don't know. It's um really I really like the book. I really like. I also I don't know. I know we haven't talked about him a whole lot, but uh, Steve. Oh oh okay. Never mind. I have to separate that because. Stephen doesn't really do a whole lot until the part where I read. So never mind. <laughs> I mean, Strange does a little bit. A little bit, but he his character his characterization comes up across a little bit more fully. Well, I, I think about that exchange he had with Brother Voodoo, um, where, I don't know, we get the... My initial impression of Doctor Strange from the comics that I read in the 90s and earlier was that he was just kind of like a generic hero type. I didn't actually think he was that interesting. Um... Which for a while is in, informed my opinion that Stephen Strange is a much better supporting character than he is a protagonist. But now, now we've read um, a couple of different Doctor Strange stories that have kind of impressed upon me that he's a bit of a screw up. Like he's like he's also what a if bit Tony of a Stark was was less competent and and just a snobby. I feel yeah, that's that's why he screws up. I, yeah, I feel like I feel like the thing about Stephen Strange is he is still I don't want to say arrogant. He's still like snobby. I guess that's that's just that word just works. Uh, he's still snobby, but he he humbles himself a lot quicker because I think unlike unlike Tony, I think part of the Stephen Strange character is that he is quick to realize his place amongst everything, and it's not it's not very high up. Uh, he realizes he is small in the grand scheme of things, um, but I think it does. I, I I think that it's still just part of his personality. Is every once in a while, it's a little too quippy, a little too overconfident, just a little something. Uh, he needs to humble again. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else we want to say about this book? Uh, I was surprised that we went, uh, you know, three issues uh, in a in an Umberto Ramos book before we saw Spider Man. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I like that he was totally like, "Yep, gotcha. Keep playing All tag. Right, Goodbye." Cool, like, it was didn't yeah. even phase him. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so, um, uh, we got to rank, rank it. it. <clears throat> okay. So, pulling yeah. up the the list of comics right now, uh, we currently have uh, 154 stories. Um, Spider Man is in the bottom. Four, three times, um, but it's okay because he's also in the top ten. Uh, is he only in the top ten twice? I guess he's in the top ten twice, but also uh, Secret Wars is up there because Miles Morales gave uh, the Mo- Molecule Man a sandwich or a hamburger. That was in a tight. So, <laughs> really good. Anyway, um, so where do we want to rank these? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say something, but I can wait. Uh, I mean, should, we, should we rank the TVA book first? Yeah, let's rank the TVA book first. I'm going to say I liked it. I can't remember. I say put it above Cage. Put it at 83. Um, because I like it better than the ones right below it. Right. Th- well, no, that's not true, because I liked Avengers vs. X-Men, and you guys ranked it a lot lower so then um I don't even remember this war at the gates of hell book the spirits of vengeance yeah I'm like 
that's that that's, was uh, that was the story that had Damon Hellstrom in it. That's the one that has and all uh, the different. Well, we made a joke about a, a about a gun that shoots Doritos or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Dorito bullet. I don't. What was that like? Something, something bullet made of Doritos, like something that loved something you love yes. killing you. Yep. Okay. Okay. All right, that's coming back to me. I have no idea what the context was. Um, I don't know. I'm somewhere in the 80s, between 80 and 90 is where I'm thinking. Because I keep seeing ones that I liked more as I go down, but they're lower. I don't know. I think the floor is 92, and then the ceiling would be like oh, I was gonna, I was going to say so. the floor is 94, and the ceiling was 92. I don't think this is better than this. Than, the search for eternity. I would put it above the search for eternity. Um, we know cause because you disrespect I... the name every time. <laughs> the search for eternity, I think, has Ugh. really good art and not much else going for it. See, I don't even know what he's talking about. When he <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas I think the story on this one is plenty fun. Uh, and the art is good, but it's ultimately kind of disposable, so I wouldn't put it necessarily super high. I just would, I think, put it slightly above the search for eternity. Okay. No, you gotta say it like it's an old cassette tape you bought at Epcot. <laughs> Wait, that sounds like you're traveling. Why, why is the tape underwater? <laughs> You can drive it to the beach from a Disney world. <laughs> I don't know. I can't do a rundown tape voice like... I can't. I don't know. This search for eternity. Say it like you mean it or die. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's all I got. Uh, I, think, I, I think I would put it just, just above the search for eternity. Swan, Steven, come on. Throws a bone. Okay, I would put it just below... I don't know, because it's better than War at the Gates of Hell. They both have people on fire. <laughs> uh, let me... I mean, both of you okay with putting it, like, above War at the Gates of Hell? Like, below Nova? I, I think that's a good spot for it. Sure. Or did you want it higher, John? No, I'm... Yeah, just below War at the Gates of Hell... Like or just above, like either one, I think works, because um, it's you know it's it is disposable. Um, it's not like Nova was like reintroducing, like rebooting a character, bringing the a character back in a new way. Um, I mean, same with Riri Williams as well, which is above it, which I think should go lower, but okay. <laughs> anyway, it's there now. <laughs> Now the trickier part, it's looking at Strange Academy and how much we like the people involved with it when looking at the story itself and not the potential of the story and the potential of the, of the series. Because I think, you know, it could be very high on that, but we're looking at just this first trade. Right. So that's if, where it gets... If we're talking about just the first trade, I'm going to throw out a ballpark, the 40s. Yeah, looking at it, I was thinking, I was thinking that too. Yeah, um, I mean, number forty is that uh, Shang Chi story, which I like better than Strange Academy. Not much better, but better. Uh, yeah, I think this is the. I was going to say, I like Strange Academy I better than concur. that, but I think Squirrel Power was like a tighter story, as goofy as it was. As much as so I, you guys want to put it at forty? Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, that was fast. Not, it, yeah, let's do it. Hey, and I got outvoted. Good. <laughs> it's only democracy if everyone's pissed. Nobody's happy. It works. Yeah. Okay. Um, man, that was that went quick. Uh, for our next episode, we talked about Runaways so much. We're we're gonna do another Runaways story, which is. I feel like we haven't done... We did the one Runaway Story, which is now, I think, at issue 27, back in, like, our third episode. Yep. Um, so it'll be good to revisit. We're reading Runaways, the 2005 series, issues 25 through 29. Dead End Kids is the name of the trade. Okay. Um, 
This is the second Runaway series, isn't it? Yes, the second, I think technically second volume. Um, and this, uh, they go to New York. They're, you know, Runaways are a, a Los Angeles team, which makes them different. But they, they have to go meet with the Kingpin um, in New York. And then, and then things happen, and uh, that's all I'll say for now. But Okay, um, and we're going to follow that up with another sort of lesser known team book. Uh, Agents of Atlas. Has, there was a 2019 series uh, written by Greg Pak. Uh, we're going to read that. I think it's only six issues. So Actually, I think it's only five issues. That'll be fun. Um, I've never read Agents of Atlas. I've heard a lot about them. Um, this has got Amadeus Cho in it, uh, who I like quite a bit. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Well, thankfully, uh, Stephen, you won't get too lost reading about them because they have an Atlas. <laughs> It's, it's, <laughs> I feel like I'm stuck in sef- second gear. No, nope, that's a friend's. Nope, never mind. <laughs>